0: You are listening to the SSG Podcast, a monthly HR, health and safety podcast available through all good podcast streaming services. Hi and welcome to this month's podcast. You're here with me, Adam Worth, Head of Learning at SSG and... Manuela Grossman, Head of People Services. And we're here to talk to you today about road safety or workplace transport or however we want to sort of spin it up. Um, and I think what we're going to do is we're going to have a bit of a run through uh, this topic. We're going to sort of explore it from a cultural point of view. We're gonna look at why why it's important, why we should bother with it. We'll have a little bit, little bit of a look at the law and we'll vary a bit between road traffic law here, health and safety law from my perspective, and I suppose a bit of working time directive and sort of uh, bring an HR viewpoint onto the whole thing. Um, and then we'll talk through, as we always do, sort of things we can do to practically manage this as we go as we go forward. So I think I think that's what we want to achieve.
1: I drove back from Germany this week, Adam. Did you? 16 hours in the car.
0: Driving the whole time? Did you no. have a break, right,
1: You'd be pleased to hear there was two of us driving and we had a break in between, but mainly because we had a dog and she wouldn't have lasted. <laughs> 16 hours Literally. is a long
0: time without but stopping you know what? for a comfort break isn't it
1: that's true yeah but I've got to say I did reflect a bit because a few years ago there was um, a time when my partner was too ill to drive we were on our way to go on a skiing holiday and it was an 18-hour journey and I did that on my own literally in one piece just kind of driving two hours stopping 20 minutes
0: get it done I'm hardcore right I have used to live in the northeast and I used to drive back, what is it, from, uh, if we're looking at sort of Darlington back to where we are in the sort of southwest, it's probably about six, six and a half hours. But it's significantly quicker if you don't stop for a break and significantly quicker if you do it in one go. And that makes us strong and hard individuals, doesn't
1: it? And also, if you keep just above the speed limit.
0: Just above. You
1: can maybe shave off, what, 15 minutes? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Because 10% plus or minus... Now, I hope people are picking up the irony in our voices here and that we're not talking about fact. But this is a really, really important point, isn't it? Is this this culture around driving, this, mm. this viewpoint we have. I have um, a car that's got adaptive cruise control on it. I press a button on my steering wheel. My car does the speed limit. Not a mile above, not a mile below the speed. So it does 30. Now, I know we can bring in the arguments of the real GPS speed of that is probably 20. 8.29. But my car says 30. That's the speed limit. It's not a target. It's not going to the speed limit. How is my experience with other drivers behind? Do they believe that I'm driving at a sensible pace? So they'll give me plenty of room and that this is an appropriate speed to drive
1: at, Manuela? Obviously not, I guess.
0: A lot of tailgating. I've been overtaken on the Ashburton Road, which is a 30 limit. You get a lot of pressure from the drivers behind Don't to, to as you said, go that little bit. Quicker. Mm-hmm. This is a big cultural thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's a big cultural thing amongst organisations, uh, particularly when they don't have a very strong lead from the top. So, I've seen it a lot in previous employment, where people almost have kind of contests about, you know, oh, how long can I drive and how quickly can I get there and how few breaks can I take? And it almost becomes a bit of a macho thing, doesn't it? Like you just said, oh, we. Um, I remember driving to Manchester. That's four hours. Who needs a break driving to Manchester? You know. Yeah, crazy. But
0: it's when my car now tells me I need to stop for a break. What does the car know? <laughs> <laughs> More
1: intelligent not, than I was going to
0: take one, but I'm not on point of principle now because yeah. the car is smelling my weakness. <laughs> so, but it's a crazy... I, I think we go back to another one I was telling, wasn't it? In training, where uh, we had some people who were driving plant. So big lorries, effectively classified as plant, not a lorry. So as we'll come on to in a bit, no taco laws occur. And their culture was very, very old traditional macho culture. And they used to drive to do jobs in Scotland, in the north of England. And they'd have to be on site for like, um, I think they were saying like an eight o'clock start. That's when they need to start work. So they'd be leaving Devon at one or two in the morning after a few hours sleep. They'd be up there, they'd do their eight hour shift and then they'd drive back. This was regular routine culture. This was what they considered completely normal and OK. And there was a moment in the training room where one of the guys said, oh, there's this really hilarious moment when our colleague was, uh, was driving back and stopped at a roundabout that wasn't there because he was hallucinating. And they made it this like big joke. And in my mind, all I could think about was where, where you've hallucinated the roundabout that isn't there, you could have hallucinated a car that was there not being there. And that's full of someone's family. And you're in a big... It's utterly staggering. that They all thought this was funny.
1: Leads us to motivate us, doesn't it? Because we just had a quick chat about what makes people drive more safely and actually want to drive more safely. Because ultimately, as an organisation, you could put all rules and procedures in the world in place. If people don't want to abide by them, you're not going to be sitting in the car next to them all the time, are you? So how can we change that culture? How can we make people want to be more safe on the road?
0: Well, this call comes back to behavioural safety, doesn't it? And getting inside people's heads. And if we look at the... When I did a behavioural safety course many years ago with the HSL, they talked about government sort of drink driving campaigns, how they target their audiences. But from a personal experience, just to bring a cheerful edge to the podcast, um, we me and my partner stopped at a road traffic accident that was that was incredibly serious. And we witnessed a very, very serious road traffic incident where we sort of tried to assist with administering first aid to um, a, a young girl. It didn't end well. For me, massive moment. It's why I'm so passionate about this topic. But what's really interesting, and me me and Maruela were talking about this earlier, was after that event, I drove like an absolute saint
1: Mm.
0: for about a week. Mm -hmm. And that's what what sort of motivator do you need to make you go, actually, road safety laws are really important. They're there for a reason and we need to be obeying them. That probably worked. But then we go back to that time where I was maybe late for a meeting. So I pushed my speed a little bit or... What do we need to change that behavior?
1: Mm-hmm. So, you're absolutely right. I think personal experience makes a change, albeit it's temporary. But then that also takes me back to you know, once we have, are enforcing that culture in an organization where it's okay to take your time, you know, it's okay to be safe behind the wheel, it's okay to take that additional night away if you're going on a long journey. Uh, then it becomes part and parcel, doesn't it? It's a bit like a, a general good um, good safety culture in any organisation. So if for us it's normal to work safely at height and provide that training and you know check our equipment and all the rest of it, then that's just the new normal. So this, why doesn't the same apply to driving? I think we need to pay more. It's attention a whole cultural
0: thing. I wasn't suggesting there that we need those strong impacts to yeah. adjust. What we need to work out is why that isn't enough, isn't it? I think I was also going to say, reading the news just at lunch, absolutely. Coincidentally, opened a news story on the BBC page and it talked about an AI camera that was installed in Cornwall uh, near Launston on the A30. It was there for three days. It used AI. It took photos of every single car. Then it used AI to pick out photos that might include a rule breach, which were then reviewed by... Um, a human to decide whether there was an offence. They identified 300 offences in three days, 117 people on their mobile phones. And I think this one staggered both of us, didn't it? 180 people not wearing their seatbelts. Yeah,
1: acceptable in the 80s, right? See, Very strange.
0: <laughs> I I don't know how they put up with the the, the, the constant dinging noise. I'm know, not I not know. entirely sure. Are they? But um, it was it was really interesting, and it was it was interesting for me. It was um one run by um Devon and Cornwall Police, and I think Adrian Leesk, who um who I've known before. So hi Adrian, if you are listening to this, uh, it was just absolutely staggering that level of rule breaking that is absolutely routine. And when we go back to that. Motivatory part I was saying as well, wasn't it? The ironic uh spin I put on it was if I said to you today, um, I was running a bit late and I drove at 77 on the A38 this morning, you wouldn't have been absolutely shocked by my behavior or probably even picked up on it as a thing. However, I was going to say, if I told you that I'd stolen something from Asda on the weighings, I didn't have any money, but it was okay because it cost less than a quid. Yeah,
1: that's a. Crime isn't it? But and both crimes. It, it, it just, I used to work with someone who who said to me seventy seven. That's within the ten percent. That's okay, isn't yeah. it? That's
0: acceptable. So- <laughs> it's culture. We're not here to it's fix like, speed miles limits miles or criticise no. on how we drive, but it's it's all about cultural perception, yeah. isn't it?
1: And this is what the speed awareness courses, I suppose, are trying to do as well. Is kind of uh, not shock people into submission, but just make them understand. Uh, what impact poor driving has or may have on other people and also clarify the law a little bit and um it's quite interesting actually how few people ver- know the highway code inside out and you know if i asked you, you now a test, have you? and it, well i should actually <laughs> But you know, if I asked you now if you could pass your driving test, if somebody took you on it out on what the road, I should put out I'm nodding
0: here, people. <laughs> it'd be fine.
1: <laughs> you know, I think most of you would have trouble. So, on that note, then, what is it that employers can do? Do you think?
0: Well, I was going. I was going to step back. We're just focusing on that law, isn't it? Oh, so right, we've got okay, road yeah. traffic law. We've got road traffic law, which yep. we just talked about, um, and I think an interesting one from an employment point of view as well is the focus the law um puts on certain individuals and for road traffic most of that as we're saying i have a driving license i have passed a driving test i am expected to have a level of knowledge so before i jump into my car and drive i am meant to ensure the car is roadworthy, i am roadworthy, and i am comfortable and competent to drive at that moment that duty rests With the on driver. me but we're not going to focus too much on road traffic law we'll leave that for the likes of adrian uh we're going to focus on um on it from a health and safety point of view and this is where it gets a bit muddied the law does put a duty on employers to ensure that people operating on the roads do it safe just not really been as proven in test cases and so then we come on to health and safety law don't we and then we come on to things like the working time directive and some of the hre stuff
1: so working time directive uh, yes it stipulates in the uh maximum number of working hours you can work between shifts but you can opt out of it so from a le- from a legal hr perspective there's really no guidance there it all comes down to risk assessment really doesn't it
0: and i think what we get into with that is when we're looking at we go back to risk assessment and we go back to risk assessing this stuff it's very hard to risk assess some of the individual factors if you're incredibly tired there is an argument made within a book by Matthew Walker. Have you read Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, Manuela? I no, have recommended it um, he me. talks about in that book about the risks of drink driving versus tired sleep drivers. Mm. And in his mind, puts the tired driver as a more risky driver. This is his his words. That because reaction times when you're drunk are delayed. Reaction times when you're tired can be zero because you might be having a micro sleep. So you don't react at all. Incredibly frightening. Yet we see... There's a cultural thing around sleep as well, isn't there? And tiredness, I can opt out of the working time directive because I don't need sleep, I'll sleep later. Incredibly dangerous to drive when tired.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just on the law side, so I had a very interesting question from a client the other day who uh, they... Um, drive with um, vehicles that are not htv so they're not regulated as such Uh, they drive sort of vans etc and yeah sometimes they drive up to newcastle you know scotland way etc so they did ask me what's the maximum number of hours they are allowed to be on the road
0: it's down to risk assessment isn't it it's down it depends on so many factors it depends on how rested you are the work you're doing how many times you're driving within that day it's not an easy question to answer is it that's Um, What we do get guidance from, from an HSE point of view, if we're risk assessing this stuff and we want to answer questions like that, um, HSG 136 is the HSE guidance document for workplace transport. And it focuses very much on making sure you have a safe vehicle, making sure you have a safe person, which alludes to the tiredness, the capabilities to drive um, uh, uh, and sort of training and competency. And then it alludes to safe site so if you're a large organization making sure your site presents as the highway would and also um, making sure that you know journeys are planned and safe and it really comes back into planning for that kind of thing doesn't it
1: and there needs to be a certain element of flexibility as well obviously so if we're looking at adverse weather conditions for example um, changing light uh, or a change of the hours that you're driving because it's very different driving overnight to driving during the day isn't it so, that all needs to be catered for in your risk assessments, also.
0: Yeah, all of these things are, 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 are sort of um, uh, are things that we need to consider. To now, I don't want to focus too much on the technical risk assessment y background y stuff, but what can we do as an employer? Then I suppose we should look at control, isn't it? People listening want to know, right? What can we do? We've hopefully made the point that road safety should be taken very seriously. Um, I think we see about 1,700 deaths on the road, about a third of those are at work. So that's about 600 people a year. Comparing that to about 130, 140 people dying at work, there's a clear motivator to focus on this. But what is it we should be doing? We've already talked around a range of stuff, but I suppose first top tip is risk assessment, isn't it? As we've talked about following that HSG 136 approach and then having good robust policies.
1: Yeah, that are being implemented and enforced as well, obviously. So it's no good if they're just written down and then uh, the directorship are the first to breach the rules. So,
0: Well, we were talking as well, sometimes we have policies, maybe we have an ad- adverse weather policy and it might say staff shouldn't drive in inclement or adverse conditions. OK, brilliant. But what we find a lot, what we've found is that. You see that as uh, allowing the employee to take ownership of that decision. So you'll say, if you feel the weather's a bit bad tomorrow, make your call and let us know if you're not going to go. We've already talked about the culture around driving. It's only a little bit of snow. I'm quite a good driver in the snow, I'm sure. So I'll be all right. What, Whereas could, should we be actually making that organisational decision?
1: Yeah, because it could work the other way around as well, couldn't it? Someone says, "Oh, actually, I'm not very comfortable driving in this weather. And suddenly a few of the colleagues go, oh, really? You know, mm. Well, bless. So you don't want to. And
0: I think we've experienced yeah. conversations around that. Absolutely. I'm not so that decision
1: that. shouldn't be with the employee because it's very likely that they're going to make a wrong one. So, yeah. It's peer pressure, escape. isn't
0: it? Yeah, Absolutely. I suppose training, Mm. what should train, we've all got got a driving license, right? So I'm trained.
1: Yeah, well, driver safety training is out there. Lots of companies specializing in it. We can do something at SSG for you if you want something a bit more bespoke, Um, but there are organizations that run it routinely um, and they have usually people on staff as well who have that experience. So Andrew has, you know, having worked as traffic cops or, you know, uh, in enforcement, so that's great isn't it to have people with that experience. There's these weird and
0: assumptions but... around driving isn't there. So I passed my driving test I think when I was just still 17 a couple of years ago. So it was about 5 years ago. Yeah. So if you are <laughs> but I might never have driven since. Yeah. And so I remember going to uh one of the organizations one of the chemical plant organizations and I I was regularly driving but they didn't know that and the controls to getting the company a pool car was to show them a driving license and sign a form to say you'd try not to crash. Yeah. That was that was the control. There was no, no one went out for a drive with me. No one asked about driving experience. No one gave me familiarization of the vehicle. I had to walk out of the petrol station to make a phone call back to site to find out how to open the petrol gap. Yes. Because the button was under the door. Who puts a button under a door handle? But it's just... Yeah. Why was no one telling me that stuff? It's just because we assume
1: that people are okay. So just taking that step back as an employer and being caring and making sure that people have all that information to hand, especially if you're using uh, higher vehicles. That's very often the case in organisations where vehicles change very quickly. Very. Um, frequently
0: What about orc healthy stuff?
1: Yeah absolutely so especially when people are driving overnight you need to look at night worker assessments for your staff uh, that's law anyway so we need to look at occupational health we use for, for those but then also things like eye tests so just like VDU you use screen users um, people driving vehicles are entitled to, yeah. Um...
0: And I think it's really important here that we sort of make the distinction here. We're not talking about professional drivers driving HGVs. This is more about your everyday driving. There are additional not... laws for that stuff that we're not going to go into now. But it's really, really important that we consider this stuff. Um, I think another one is tech. Tech is our friend sometimes with this, isn't it? There's a lot of, lot of clients that I have introduced tracking for their vehicles. How do you feel about that, Manny? Yeah
1: loads of uh, outlines use tracking now for various reasons, just be careful about, you know, being very clear with your employees about what you're using it for. So if you are using it to uh, just to pass on to your insurers because you get a better insurance deal, uh, for example, then that's fine. If you are using it to look at general driver behavior and you are potentially talking to people about their brake speed, et cetera, et cetera, you just need to make that clear and you also need to cover any trackers in your GDPR and your data protection policy. See.
0: Yeah, so it's it's really good data, but we need to make sure it's Protected data. Yeah, absolutely. And used well I suppose and the only
1: other thing to think about is when you have a tracker on a vehicle that the person uses for private use as well, you need Can to have the facility to turn it off so you don't, you know, pick follow up on their that every slight step.
0: slow drive down a. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. But yeah, in general, I think that it's a really good thing because if anything, it makes people a little bit more aware of their own driving behavior as well, if they know that it's being scrutinized. But I also think
0: them. it's really important. I think we alluded to this earlier. If we're going to put these policies into place, we need to actually stand by them. If we're going to put tech into the vehicles to track people's speed and appropriate driving, then we need to follow up on that. If people aren't, we need to ensure that that's fed back, that the statistics are out there. There's no point just having the data for the sake of the data. Well, we need to be using it.
1: Yeah, and you can also opt for devices that give you a bit more of an immediate response. So uh, like our clients, Lightfoot, for example, they have this amazing tracker box that's actually been uh, invented to push down your fuel costs. So you put it on your dashboard, um, but at the same time, it gives you a little beep when you are driving inefficiently, aka your brake speed is too fast or your acceleration is is not good or you're breaking the speed limit, et cetera. It monitors that for you and it gives you a little ping Uh, straight away so brilliant idea if you want to make an investment that gives people that immediate feedback.
0: I think this is and this is all really important stuff and I think as well this is well as one um, that we haven't talked about when we sort of go back to the cultural thing is I'm often surprised when driving on the A38 the amount of livery vehicles branded vehicles driving in excess of the speed limit you know um, I think I, I think it's a little known fact apparently amongst van drivers that speed on the A38 is 60. And I'm surprised when you're in a livery van, that's setting a bad example for the company, isn't it?
1: So again, education. Education, training, training, training,
0: risk assessment, risk assessment. So I think to recap, really, we've only given you a little bit bit of of an insight really into quite a big topic, but we've talked about those motivators. And this is a really, really serious thing. And I alluded to the fact that from a legal point of view, lots of this gets put back onto driver, lots of this gets put back onto driver should have done this. However, I think there's a big appetite from the regulators that there's a pressure put back onto employers to ensure this stuff is being done right. There's obviously a really big motivator for drivers here to get this right. Like I was talking about liveried vehicles, you don't want to get that reputation oh. for being the company that has speeding uh, stuff. But also if your staff are injured or killed, it's going to have a huge business impact. And the statistical likelihood of that is relatively high. And Hi. um, then we sort of talked about the need to risk assess that, thinking about your vehicle, thinking about the site, thinking about the journey. And then we gave you sort of that set of, controls to really hopefully think about and get stuck into
1: i think we could have talked a lot longer about driving today it's a big topic isn't it
0: hours on driving yeah. couldn't we but hopefully it's given people some insight
1: and as always give us a ring if we can help any more we've got toolbox talks around uh, safe driving behavior we've got um, training courses available so uh, yeah contact us if you need anything else
0: brilliant hope we've given you something to think about and see you all again next month Bye bye